This morning, again, we're talking about stories. And uh, as the scripture says in Mark chapter 4, with many parables, Jesus spoke to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And so we tell our stories to everyone. And some are going to get it, and some won't. And some, well, will need a little bit of extra uh, time with the Savior to really comprehend it. And maybe those stories won't make sense for a long time to come. But maybe they will. We've been talking about stories that are true, stories that happen to us. And some stories are what we call made up or fiction, but they illustrate a truth. And this is one of those stories. It's called the Diamond Dipper. Once upon a time in a land far away long ago, there was a little girl, and she lived with uh, her mom in this kind of shack thing, and it was not good times. As a matter of fact, her mom was sick, deathly sick. She was on her deathbed, and this little girl woke up with that morning with one thing in mind, I'm going to get some water for my mom. Maybe that'll help. And so she took a little dipper, a little wooden thing, you know, like a, a little cup with a handle on it. And she said, I'm not going to come back until that thing's full of water. Well, she said, Mama, I'm going for water. She went out through the door and she began to walk across the grassy land. Well, it was kind of like a lot of the grass you see. It's, dark, it's, it's brown and it's, it's not green and flourishing like the other grass around us. It's kind of dry and dead. And so she crunched her way across that grass and she was headed for a mountain. Well, before she got to the mountain, she uh, made her way with that little wooden dipper through the forest of trees. And you could hear all the crunchy dry leaves around her. And, you know, as she was crunching through those leaves, she heard a, a sound. There was a dog following her. Oh. A little sorry, sickly, thirsty little dog. Oh, she thought, poor dog, he needs water too. Well, she kept on going. She finally made her way to the mountain, and she began to climb up and up, like the, the stairs I climbed this morning. Big steps, hard to walk. She had that dipper, and she was walking all the way up, just searching, searching for water. And before she knew it, yes, there was a little, a little creek, a little spring, water coming out of the ground and beginning to flow down. And it was dripping off a rock, just one drip at a time. She thought, water, I can find water for my mom. She put that little wooden dipper under that drip. And it took a long time to fill. Oh, it took so long, but that little girl was going to achieve her purpose for her mom. It was hours she'd been walking, but finally the wooden dipper was full, and she began very carefully to make her way down off the mountain. It was hard. She was trying not to stumble, getting down further, further, further. She made her way off the mountain and got to the forest where she was crunching through the dry leaves. Water, step by step, she longed to drink that water herself, but no, that was for her mom. And that's when she heard the dog. Yeah, she looked and there it was. Oh, so thirsty. Its tongue hanging down. Uh, 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 uh. Tail 
between its legs. She felt compassion for the dog. She thought, oh, if only, maybe I could just give it a little bit of water. She, she, she took just a little handful of water. She held it down to that dog, and you know what the dog did. You, you dog lovers know. <laughs> he licked it up. Oh, and he was happy. His eyes brightened. His tail was wagging. You know how they do. And but she wasn't looking at it. But in the moment she did that, that wooden dipper turned into a silver dipper. And it was just as much full of water as before. Well, now she had even more purpose. She got through the forest and she was making her way across the dry grassland. The sun was beating down. It was late in the afternoon. Her steps were slowing. She was going to stagger a little bit. She finally got back to their, their little shack. She thought, ah, finally my mother will get a drink. Oh, it was wonderful. She made her way through the door, and she said, look, Mama, I brought you some water. And the mom said, oh, bless you, child. Bless you. Please, give that water to our, our servant who's been caring for me. She needs it more than I do. Little girl obeyed. She went to the servant. The servant took that water and took a long, long drink. And in that instant, boom, that silver di dipper turned into a golden dipper. And it was just as much full of water as before. Oh, the little girl was so excited. She thought, oh, now, now my mama can have a drink. And, uh, well, she took that golden dipper and she held it up to her mother's lips. And she drank and drank and drank. And just like that, another miracle. Her mother's body was healed. Her fever went away. She was all better. How wonderful that this act of love had healed her mother, and now she could have a drink. There was just a little bit of water left in that golden dipper, and she was just about to take a drink when all of a sudden, there was a knock at the door. She turned, and the door opened. There was a man, so thirsty, staggered in. He said, water, water. If I don't have a drink, I'll die. Little girl looked at that dipper, the little bit of water. She felt her own thirst. She looked at that man. She thought, Here, mister, you need this more than I do. What happened next was amazing. That man took that golden dipper, stepped back out, of the shack and poured it out on the ground. But in the next instant, a stream of water, a, a spring came bubbling up out of the ground. Oh, why, not just a little, but it came flowing forth and, and, and water began to fill little, little puddles and pools and began to, to stream down the ground into the empty waterbed and the 
everyone shouted. They said, water, water, bring your cups and jars and your jugs. Come and get water. Take a drink. The animals had a drink, and everyone had a drink, and that little girl had a long, long drink, and she felt so much better. <laughs> oh, everyone was rejoicing. They, they forgot about the man. Yeah, the stranger who came, well, they looked and in one instant, poof, he disappeared. He flew up into the air, along with the dipper. You see, that dipper had turned from gold into diamond. And it's up there today. When the sun is down and the stars are out, called the Big Dipper, and it sets in the heaven all the time as a reminder of one little girl and her act of selfless love. Isn't that a cool story? <laughs> I love that story. Not just because I love storytelling, but I see the Big Dipper. Where I live, it's just, it's just over the horizon, over my backyard in this nighttime. And, and the truth that it conveys is very simple. When you pour out love, when you give of yourself, when you think of others first, when you consider their need more important than your own, you are the gospel. You live what Jesus taught us to love God first and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the true thing. Now, whether this fable, well, it may or may not be true, but the very true thing is this, give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and overflowing into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Keep that in mind. I need some older volunteers. Anybody anybody willing to come up here with me? Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, you come too. Oh, and bring that young man right next to you. Wonderful. Is that a mother-son thing going on here? Oh, cool. This is great. Everybody stand up. We're going to review the Bible moves. Tell me your name, sir. You're Garrett. Come over here. Oh, come back here. Garrett's mom. Don't chicken out. I'm just going to call you Garrett's mom, okay? Mary, stand right there. Take your hands out of your pockets. Here's five more. Job, trace two tears down your cheeks. Say, Job, why is this man sad? He was the richest guy ever. And guess what? God took everything away from him, even his health, but he trusted God even though he lost everything. It's a good lesson on how to suffer and still love Jesus. Say, Job. Then we have Psalms. Put up a little harp. See the strings going up and down? We're going to pluck them and say psalms. Yeah, David wrote a whole bunch of these, and he had a song for every occasion, good days and bad days. And oh, man, psalms, 150 of them. You read it every day. Psalms, proverbs, go like this. Oh, that was good. You know what this is? It's your room. No. <laughs> That's a light bulb. Yeah, mom would say that. You guys, yeah, I know. It's a light bulb. It's lots of good ideas, see? Uh, and Proverbs has a ton of good ideas on how to, how to train your children. Uh, 
<laughs> How to handle your money? Yeah, what yeah. Money? What money? <laughs> okay. Proverbs. Then we have Ecclesiastes, the big book of why. It asks a lot of questions, hard to answer, and ask your pastor, he'll have the answers, okay? But that's a good way to learn. Say Ecclesiastes. And then the Song of Solomon. Trace a heart in the air and say, Song of Solomon. Are you married? Yes. You are? Okay. I was worried. <laughs> don't, don't read this book till you're married, okay? Yeah, now yeah, enough said. Okay, Song of Solomon. It's for married love. Now, okay, uh, we're going to do those five. Those are the books of poetry, and then I'm going to do a commercial. Here we go. <gasps> Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Well, Song of Psalms, or Song of Solomon. Song, it's, can, do you want to know it in Spanish? Cantar de los Cantares. It does sound like a song. Yeah, yeah, it's a love song. Anyway, uh, here's a commercial. If you like the Bible moves and this, and this concept, you can find them on YouTube. Just look for The Bible Moves, Brian Bopp, The Bible Moves, and you'll find a playlist, and it, it has all of them in different sections. I highly recommend them for kids' ministry, elementary age. Well, I'll tell you what, The Bible Moves have been an enduring thing, and um, they are translated um, in many, well, I think they are in many languages. I'm not sure exactly. Missionaries have said, can we do these in such and such a language? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. I did learn to say them all in Spanish, and uh, that, that was fun. I was on a mission trip down to Argentina, so we can go from Genesis to um, Apocalipsis. That's Genesis to Revelation in Spanish, which makes me sound really smart, but I really don't speak Spanish. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I wish I did. I really do. Well, we're going to tell a couple more stories, and then I'm going to tell you my story because um, I think it's pretty good. Well, it's time for Uncle, not Uncle Saul, but Saul. He's got a a story about Jesus to tell us, and I think that will lead us along the way this morning. Are you ready? Okay. <clears throat> Lunch time. Oh, what the wife packed today? <laughs> Strawberries. Look. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> you don't mind if I talk with my mouth full, do you? You do. It's organic. Anybody want a strawberry? Hey! <laughs> no more of that. That could be dangerous. You need to apologize to that lady for, you know. No, no, you're right. I'll tell you. Ah. Uh, they never had these in, Ju in uh, Judea. Awesome. Oh, I got to tell you, Jesus, he is a remarkable young man. And the story I have to tell you today is a hard one. You see, Jesus and Joseph and I, we were working on a wall quite a ways out of Nazareth. 
Yeah, moving a lot of stone. Well, you know, that meant uh, quarries and, and uh, wheelbarrows and, and a lot of, uh, you know, hard pick work. Lifting, of course. Uh, well, J Jesus and I were working on a stone over here, and uh, Joseph was uh, quite a ways off when all of a sudden we heard, uh, we heard a cry. We looked, there was Joseph. He was clutching his chest, and boom fell backwards onto the ground. We ran to him, of course. Joseph, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's, what's going on? Jesus was there. He had Joseph's head. Papa, Papa, speak to me. What, what's wrong? And, and what did I say? It was not long before Joseph breathed his last breath. and died. Oh, Jesus cried and cried. Papa! Papa! <laughs> oh, what could we do? <sighs> Death was not uncommon in our day, but here it was, now, personal. Oh, we, we took Joseph's body tenderly caring for it all the way back to Nazareth. And when we arrived, the ladies came out, weeping, wailing, crying, Joseph's wife, Mary, all their kids. How could they not cry? <sighs> well, as was our custom, there was a family burial, and there was more crying, and Jesus was being so strong, because as the eldest child, he would now have to care for the family. He was strong enough, and with the support of others, he could do that. He was trying so strong to be brave for his mother, for brothers and sisters. They wrapped the body, placed it in the family tomb, more crying, more prayers. I looked at Jesus. He was so strong, holding it together with every fiber of his being, but no one can be strong for long without release. I said, Jesus, come with Saul. Come with me. We walked away from the crowd into a garden. And there was a stone bench. I said, Jesus, sit here. Be at rest. Do you know this bench? No, Saul. I said, your dad made this bench. Look at the craftsmanship. The pillars. So smooth. A place of peace. Jesus knelt down. He felt it with his hands. And then he broke. Abba! Abba! 
He poured out his tears. Oh, there were so many. Oh, release them all. Allowing the grief to pour out upon that bench. Oh, I could not help but cry. And men do cry. <laughs> we have to. This grief Jesus bore as a man. And when I, when he stood up, he had grown here. I gave him a long, long man hug. <sighs> we made our way back and went forward. Jesus was a provider. He went from son to provider in the space of a week. And he did well for all his family. <laughs> oh, he did as a good son should. His widowed mother need not worry. He had her needs in mind and that of the children. <laughs> and he bore that well all his days. <laughs> I, I know this Jesus. I'm well acquainted with him. And I am fully confident that his humanity and his trust in God Almighty it turned out well. <laughs> oh, I've got to get back to work. Shalom. Well, that's a sobering story. It is. And I tell it because... We need to be acquainted with this thing called grief. It's going to happen. And as I tell my story, and specifically my hospice story, I'll tell you why. It need not be, we do not need to be afraid of it. No. <laughs> it's just something, part of life, that we see all around us. We hear about it, and we need to be ready uh, to walk through it. Just like Jesus did, or perhaps in our own bodies. It's not the end. I'm going to tell you my story kind of briefly. It's not, well, I'll just say it. it it's kind of a, a dull. I think it's dull. I was born and raised in West Central Minnesota to a church-going family, and they were nice people. Minnesota, did you ever hear the phrase, Minnesota nice? It's a real thing. People are so nice in Minnesota and Iowa, very cordial to one another, kind of not aloof, but reserved, let's say reserved. They come from Scandinavian stock, most of them. 
and they're not really upfront with their emotions like some some other ethnics are. That's okay. It's just where I was. I call it a plain a plain bread existence. I, I was youngest of four kids, and I went to church, and I went to school, and I didn't raise trouble. And here's the thing. I learned all the Bible stories. I went to Sunday school. I heard all that, and I could do that. I was a compliant child. I told you it was boring. <laughs> Never caused much trouble, but the thing I thought was, all I have to do to go to heaven is be a good kid. Check it off. I got that. No problem. But you see, that's not exactly what the Bible says. No one's good enough to get to heaven on their own good works. Good behavior doesn't cut it. I never killed anybody doesn't cut it. Because we all have that sin nature in us. Well, I thought I was doing pretty well, and uh, it was on my first job away from home that I learned the truth of the gospel. Interestingly, this is a little bit more colorful. I got uh, sent away by my dad at age 15 to uh, do concessions work in a carnival, a traveling circus going around Minnesota, and uh, I was with the concessioners, you know, the food guys, and so we would we would set up, you know, uh, along the midway or somewhere in the, any certain town. We happened to be in Farmington, Minnesota, uh, southern Minnesota, farming community. And uh, at night, we would sleep in the trucks or on top of the trucks or under the trucks. I think that morning I slept under the truck, and uh, some of my coworkers came to me and said, hey, Brian, we're going to go have a Bible study. want to come along? And being a good kid, I said, okay. I thought it couldn't hurt. And so I went and we sat on an empty grandstand in Farmington, Minnesota. And uh, for the first time, I, I got it, that God wanted a personal relationship with me. He wasn't just there, aloof, you know, creator of the world, uh, to set this thing in motion and sit back. No, he wanted a relationship with me. And by faith in Christ, confessing my sin, repenting of that, and, and, and inviting him in, I too could reciprocate. I could have that relationship. And I said, yes, I want that. I want that. And I can only explain it in this way. It's, it's Bible taught, but it says, I was born again, born of the Spirit, on that empty grandstand, something came into me. Someone came into me. I opened the door of my heart, and Jesus walked in. And he's been there ever since. It's a real thing. I know that guy, and he knows me. And from that day to this, I've never had a doubt. I, too, can be counted among the family of God, a Christian a believer, a holy roller, one of those Jesus people. <laughs> I, according to my brother, I got religion. That's, what, that's how he interpreted it. He'll get religion someday soon. <laughs> and uh, I wrote a letter home to my mom and dad. I said, Mom, Dad, I'm a Christian now. And their response was, well, 
we didn't think you ever weren't a Christian because they were good parents, raised their kids in the church, but they didn't know what took place in my heart. I know, and Jesus knows. And that's a wonderful thing. And I have to say this to give them credit. They did the right thing, of course. They raised me in a church, and uh, I, I remember the songs that we sang, and I'm going to sing one to, to you that had a, a lot of influence. When I was a young man making a decision about what to do, uh, because all that Bible stuff was filling up a reservoir in me of goodness and truth, although I hadn't embraced it until age 15. But then it began to make sense. And all the hymns that I learned when I was a little kid, mom and dad were down in the choir loft. I was up in the balcony with the hymn open, the hymnal open, and that's where I learned to read music. I began to realize those dots, you know, when they went up, the, the sound went up. When they went down, the sound went down. And I began to learn the language of music, and I, I hope and pray that that's part of your experience too. It's a wonderful language. And there will be lots of music in heaven. But this is one of the songs that I heard and learned, and it made an influence. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Is this familiar? Take my voice and let it sing, always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my riches and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my heart, my Lord, I pour, at your feet it's treasure stores. I'll tell you how that made a difference. Well, I got saved at 15. Then things went okay. I was, you know, going to Bible study, graduated from high school, and, you know, I was doing a lot of music and a lot of drama, and I had two opportunities. Or rather, it was two years later, because I went to junior college, which was like extended Bible, or extended high school in my little town, school of 500, had lots of fun. Anyways, my drama guy said, hey, you should try out for this drama scholarship down at a, a school called Columbia in, uni, in uh, Missouri. And uh, you might not know, Columbia is a girls' school. 1,500 girls, and they hire their guys to fill up their drama and dance program by scholarship. Well, guess what? I went down there, and uh, it was a whole lot different than my little town. <laughs> Woo! I won't even describe it. 
that was one opportunity. They offered me that scholarship. And at the same time, a group called the Covenant Players said, hey, why don't you come with us? The Covenant Players are based now in Oxnard, California, and they do Christian drama all over the world, really. Maybe you've heard of them. And, uh, and so there I was at this crossroads, really a fork in the road, and I, it was my choice to make. And I chose to go with the Covenant Players for this reason. I thought, I thought, well, if God gave me this gift, I should use it for him. Take my voice and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. See how that song learned in childhood influenced my, de my decision in young adulthood? I didn't realize that until, a you know, a few years ago when I was singing that song to people, and I thought, wait a minute. That's why I made the choice I did. Because my folks poured all that good stuff into me, and going to church even before I was saved was good for me. And then when it was my choice to make, I made the right choice in, uh, I think, a path that, that has been really good. Yeah, there have been some bad decisions along the way, but that was a good one. And I hate to think how my life would have been if I'd have gone to that secular university in that, in that environment and uh, how, I, I don't know, I don't know. I, I hate even to speculate about it because <laughs> my story did not go that way. It was a crossroads. And I hope and pray that you young adults, if you're facing your uh, choice, your decision where to go, that, that God will help you to make the right decision. So I did go in with the Covenant Players for two years. Oh my, that was a hand-to-mouth existence. I learned a ton of things about faith and drama and small group interaction and uh, van maintenance. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you how to change a water pump in Chicago in the winter outside. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can tell you how, how many times we were like, oh, Lord, please, we need, we're at, uh, the, the, the gas gauge is on empty. We need to get here. Oh, please, Lord. And yeah, he got us to the gas station on fumes. The, the van died as we were rolling into the gas station. <laughs> oh, lots of stories, lots of good stories. And that's when it was, you see, that I got called into the ministry. People kept saying to me, Brian, you ought to be a pastor. Hey, did you ever think of being a pastor? Man, you'd be a good pastor. Why don't you think about that? And I did. And the, the whole story is that even before my mom and dad, my grandparents were believers. My mother's dad, my grandfather on her side, was an Episcopal clergyman, and his three sons, also Episcopal clergyman, and his four daughters, loving God, my mom as well. And so I kind of get it by heritage. I do. I, I have to acknowledge that. It's a part of who I am today. And on my dad's side as well, strong evidence of good faith. And so after the covenant players, I decided to go to Bible school. And I went to North Central Bible College in Minneapolis because it was kind of close to home and it was the least expensive place that accepted me. <laughs> and I agreed with the theology, the Assemblies of God School. And I graduated there in 19, or, uh, 1984. 
And this is my first job interview. Some guy, some preacher from uh, Maple Grove, he said, hey, Brian, I know you do drama. Why don't you come out to my church and do some drama? I said, hire me as a summer intern and I will. He said, okay. That was the whole interview. <laughs> I said, shouldn't we pray or something? Oh, okay, if you want to. <laughs> we had lunch together, formalized the agreement, and I was their youth pastor for two years. And then he moved on, and the, the second guy was now the head guy, and they said, hey, we want you now to be the kids pastor instead of the youth pastor. And I kind of found a niche in kids ministry. And that would be when, 1986 would be when I, um, or 86 or 87, I developed the Bible moves as a kids pastor. And then uh, in 1990, started traveling full-time, did that to 98, was a kids pastor again in Kentucky for seven years. And then moved to Des Moines as a kids pastor for seven years, and then uh, a Methodist church for two years, and then I got around full circle because this Methodist church was—I knew not the last stop—but a friend of mine was involved in hospice ministry. When I went to the Methodist church, he said, "Brian, why don't you join us?" And I thought, "I don't want to do that." I didn't have any vision for it. And two years later, I guess maybe I was changed in some way. And he said, will you consider it now? And I said, okay. And I, you know, the, the term hand in glove, when your hand fits into a well-worn glove, it's just right. Maybe, maybe that's not a, that's a Midwestern image, isn't it? <laughs> okay, maybe a work glove. I'm thinking of a big mitten or a snow glove, you know. But anyways, uh, hand in glove, I, I came into hospice ministry. And so today, I get to take my guitar and to visit people in nursing homes and uh, their own personal homes. And they all share one thing. They're about to transition from time into eternity. And here's why I told, had Eli tell you that story about death. Don't be scared. We talked earlier about time, you know. It's going to end for this whole world, but these bodies were not designed to last for eternity. It's just a portion of our eternity. And once we're born of the Spirit, we begin to get ready to take our place with our grandparents, our parents, all those who've gone before. I want to see Joseph up there. I want to see, and I'm saying, hey, did I tell your story okay? <laughs> I want to see Moses. Did you really stutter? I want to see David and sing with him. I want to see all the Bible characters. I want to see my grandmother, who I never knew, who wrote a letter to my dad when he was in the military. She, she said, Genie boy, that was her name for him. You know, we, we know that you're a, 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 a securing your faith and we want you to follow him in military service. I never talked real deeply about faith with my dad, although he, and I know he was a Sunday school teacher, faithful church attender. But when he lay on his deathbed, 
died of lymphoma 28 years ago. I got up next to him and I said, Dad, have you made peace with God? Couldn't talk. But I saw in his eyes and his gentle nod, yeah. It's hard to even relate that story because, see, my grief for him is only this deep. It's right there. I can't explain it. It just is. And I'll carry that, I think, until I see him again. <laughs> and I long for that when it's my time. And it's weird to me because that grief is different than the grief for my mom who struggled through four years of uh, Lewy body dementia. A whole different scenario. But I feel like my grief for her is more complete. I certainly hope to see her as, as I do my dad and all the rest. But that's all that to say, not every grief is the same. It's just not. But I know this, that when I go to our family lake cabin in Minnesota, I get on my little sailboat that my dad taught me to sail. And I'll go out to that spot in the lake where we dropped his ashes. Don't tell. <laughs> I feel peace. And that helps me with my grief. Maybe this morning you have someone you're grieving for. That's okay. And my hope and my aim this morning is to say, guess what? not the end. In our time here, even if I grieve for 28, let's see, another 20 years, 48 years until I get to heaven, that's only this much because eternity is whew, that much. It's going to be so much better. And you have to believe that to work in hospice, to not work in hospice, yeah, it's sorrowful. I fully believe that Jesus wept big tears over Joseph's death. Certainly there were others as well. Not so many as he wept for us before he went to the cross. Had to be a hard thing for him. But he did it because he loves us. Well, that's my hospice story, and, and uh, I look forward to every day. In spite of all the paperwork that I have to do, in spite of COVID, which is a whole different thing, I work with compassionate people who understand how to bring comfort during the last hours and last days. And one of the most privileged things I get to see, very seldom, is when the spirit passes out of that body the breathing stops, the breath is gone, and the spirit ascends. It's a holy moment. I remember the first time I saw it. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a verbal person. I, words come out easy for the most part. <laughs> I, I process things verbally. And so I was playing my guitar and I was singing and there was family around and this dear lady finally breathed her last. About the time I sang amen to a song, and 
we looked at her and looked at each other. It did, did she, is that, is that, yeah. And the word stopped. I was speechless for about five minutes. It was such a profound experience to be able to, to be there in that moment when she passed into eternity. And so when I say, I tell people, what you, they say, well, what you doing, Brian? Oh, I'm in hospice ministry. So oftentimes their response is, oh, it's like a deflated balloon. That must be sad. No, not for the believer. And most of the people I serve are believers of one flavor or another. Because the thing is, in hospice, you have the opportunity to deny or decline chaplain services. So the ones that don't believe, they don't invite me in. And I feel bad for them. I wish I could be there to, to, to give them that perspective, to rekindle the hope that we have in heaven. And we don't know when it's going to happen. Certainly in our world today, and if you read the headlines, you know. Comes by surprise. A lot of grief. But how many of those are in the presence of Jesus now? I don't know. As a matter of fact, I don't really know the hearts of those that I minister to. God knows that. He sees into that heart, your heart. I'm not that smart. Sometimes I can tell by words and actions if people are really saved, and other times I, I don't know. I, maybe they're just playing church like I did till age 15. And so maybe, maybe you're that kid, that adult, just going along, being good. But do you really have that relationship? Have you really invited Christ into the, the center of your heart to be the king, to sit on the throne right there and be the boss of you <laughs> and love you every moment of every day in spite of your flaws and to say to you like he did to the woman caught in adultery, everyone was around and they were ready to condemn her he said, okay, use her without sin, you know, go ahead. They all dropped their stones. Jesus was the only one with the right to condemn, but he said, go and sin no more. Maybe you're that person who's harboring the secret sin. Maybe today's the morning you'll repent of that and receive his words. And the truth is, he died for you. He paid the penalty for you already. Even before you repented, the Bible is very clear. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul writes in Romans that if we confess with our, believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. There might be somebody in here in the sound of my voice that needs to do that today. So would you bow your heads with me? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or come forward. I don't want to know. 
Because God knows. I know He knows. And you know. And so this is your opportunity to come into right relationship with God through faith in Christ this morning. And if you would repeat these words with me in your hearts, then God will know. And when he begins that transformation, you can tell someone when he gives you the courage to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people. You know each and every heart here. Huh, because you know everything. You know the secret sins, the struggles we have, the temptations. And I know so many, you, you already have relationship, but maybe there's just one. I don't know. You know. And so, Father God, help that person, those people in their hearts and minds, simply to confess, Jesus, I'm a sinner. You know my sin, and I'm ashamed of it. Please forgive me. Forgive my sin and help me to turn away from it. And Lord, come into my heart. Be the Savior. My Savior from sin and sin's punishment. Come into your place as Lord, the boss of my life. And help me not to just play church anymore but to live in relationship with you. Send your spirit to be born in my heart that all day, every day, I could live your commands and speak your words and share with others, other faithful in the body of Christ. Help me, Father God, to use my hands as instruments of your love, my lips to speak truth, Reveal your truth to me by the presence of your spirit inside. Help me to live for you all my days until you dismiss me into eternity. Oh, Lord, we long for that. And again, we don't know when because we don't need to know. You know, but whether it's today or tomorrow or 20 years from now, help us to live day by day, trusting in you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to sing a song for you. And this is another song I learned as a kid. But it means so much to me. And it's, it's kind of a life's verse or a life's hymn, you might say. It's called, Be Thou My Vision. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, 
thy presence my life. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, thy treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. In closing today, here's a blessing, and then we'll be dismissed. Our Brian will come down to dismiss us. <clears throat> May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. And may he hold you in the palm of your hand. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. And may he hold you in the palm of his hand. 